setting fire to the stoner stereotype, sparking up candid conversations with cannabis researchers, entrepreneurs, and advocates. Educator, author, and advocate Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Please welcome the host of Burning Issues, Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Hey, we're back with more Burning Issues. I'm your host, Dr. Mitch Earlywine. As many of you know, I'm the author of the Oxford University Press book, Understanding Marijuana, and I have right here the new Polish translation, Zruzhyumek Marijuana, and I'm delighted to say that that's out. We also have the Spanish version, Entender La Marijuana. I've worked for the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. I uh, see clients at Health Psychology Associates, and I'm currently a professor of psychology at the University at Albany State University of New York. Here on Burning Issues, I'm delighted to say we have one of my favorite people on earth, Dr. Julie Holland. She's the author of multiple books and edited some of my favorites as well. I do want to point everyone towards Moody Bitches, the truth about the drugs you're taking, the sleep you're missing, the sex you're not having, and what's really making you crazy. Uh, I recommend it regardless of what kind of genitals you have. It's super (laughs) informative and a lot of fun. I do... uh, have a special place in my heart for her other book, Weekends at Bellevue, Nine Years on the Night Shift at the Psyche ER. I gotta commend her for her bravery and self-disclosure on that one. And then I'm proud to confess I have a chapter in her edited book, The Pot Book, A Complete Guide to Cannabis, which was completely delightful to participate in and generate a lot of stories. Obviously, we're going to go that general direction, uh, but welcome to the show, Dr. Julie Holland. Well, it is my absolute pleasure to be here, Dr. Earlywine, and I thank you very much for that introduction. I really appreciate it. Sure thing. So a lot of folks are talking now about cannabis and ADHD pretty broadly. I was curious if you had some general impressions about the utility of the of the whole idea, really. Yeah, well, people are speaking broadly. And one of the things that really concerns me is that when you start to look at a lot of these, uh, you know, blog posts or online, very helpful web pages, but they're speaking as if it's a done deal. Like, yes, uh, cannabis treats ADHD. You can cure your ADHD with cannabis. And I'm sorry to say as, as sort of tempting and maybe even convincing as the anecdotal data is, um, we don't know for sure because there haven't really been double blind placebo controlled clinical trials showing for sure that cannabis treats ADHD. But I think that we can make the case that a lot of people are having interesting results trying to treat their ADHD symptoms with cannabis. Um, and that absolutely it warrants significant research to see if this is a, a good treatment option. When you think of stereotypical treatments for ADHD, what do you usually think of? So I'm a psychiatrist. I prescribe uh, psychoactive medicines for a living, which is very easy to do when you practice in New York City. We have lots of miserable people, and uh, we, you know, there's a lot of depression. There's a lot of anxiety. 
that's easy. You know, we're in sort of overcrowded. I mean, I love New York City and it's a fabulous, vibrant place. There's a lot of creative people there and it's very energetic, but uh, it's not a natural environment for uh, social primates to be quite that crowded, uh, to, to not have much access to sunlight or nature. So uh, we get in particular work patterns also. The people that I treat work very long hours. They sit in front of a computer for hours and hours at a stretch. Again, we're not really built for that, you know, in terms of being hunters and gatherers and how we sort of evolved. Uh, we're not built for sitting in front of a computer for eight, 10, 12 hours at a time. So I have a lot of patients who discover that if they take uh, dopamine agonists, medicines that increase the availability of dopamine in the synapse. So these are medicines like Ritalin or Concerta or Adderall or Dexedrine or Vyvanse. I mean, there's two main classes of meds that treat ADHD, but the bottom line is they all end up increasing dopamine. Um, but uh, they have their downsides. Um, I prefer prescribing the amphetamines like Adderall and Vyvanse and Dexedrine as opposed to the sort of Ritalin-based methylphenidate group. Um, but these are, these are medicines that have a particular half-life, and when you're coming off of them, you usually feel terrible and you crash. And uh, they cut the appetite so that when they wear off, you're starving and people get headaches and stomach aches. And they don't love these meds. Um, that they take them because they do work and they help with focus. But I definitely have patients who use cannabis for focus, who use uh, sativas for focus. I have patients who uh, take just CBD oil or tinctures or the 18 to 1 or 20 to 1 ratio of CBD to THC. Um, and I've got a couple patients who use vape pens, like CBD cartridges, for their ADHD symptoms. And, you know, there's a very high placebo effect that cannot be ruled out with anything in psychiatry. I mean, I, you know, when I prescribe a medicine, I really sell it and it helps it work. I'm convinced um, my, you know, my patients do well because I tell them they are going to do well. So we can't discount the placebo effect. But uh, for a long time, we've been hearing anecdotal reports that cannabis helps with focus and, fo and helps with attention. And if, if you think about this issue of dishabituation. You know, one of the things that I like about pot is like everything old is new again. You look at things with fresh eyes. Um, that's very helpful when you're worried about focus and attention because one of the things that gets you to pay attention to something is if it's uh, salient, it's worth paying attention to. Your brain increases dopamine and says, look at this, this is important. And you get that with pot. Um, and cannabis does naturally increase dopamine. I mean, most of the good drugs of abuse do, and that's one of the reasons that they are, they end up being drugs of abuse. Um, there's a lot of pleasure involved. Uh, and I don't, you know, as a psychiatrist, I don't want to discount pleasure because I think that pleasure is therapeutic. And this gets us into the whole sort of uh, recreational versus therapeutic dichotomy. And as a psychiatrist, I would say that that is a false dichotomy. I think anything that makes you feel better is probably also good for your body. Anyway, I know that's a little bit off point. Uh, it's a it's a very long winded way of saying that I think that there's uh, enticing, potentially convincing evidence that this is something that we should really study seriously. Oh, I appreciate your uh, diverse but thorough <laughs> description of it and do want to point folks towards the fact that this placebo control issue is is a big one. 
my student, Allison Luby, and I published a paper in 2011 where people were literally told, hey, you're going to take some methylphenidate, and it really did improve their uh, subjective arousal as far as that was concerned. What a surprise. Uh, it wasn't methylphenidate at all. It was just a gelatin capsule. And so we do see this placebo issue coming up big, even in this world of dopaminergic drugs. As you're uh, moving then towards the idea of cannabis, do folks tend to uh, say some symptoms respond better and uh, essentially use it with uh, that lack of sort of negative side effects in mind? Well, I do think that it takes a little poking around to figure out what works best for you. And Dosage, I think, is really crucially important. You know, a lot of people are talking now about microdosing, microdosing LSD, microdosing psilocybin, which is the active ingredient in magic mushrooms. Uh, and more and more people now are talking about microdosing cannabis, that, you know, a little can go a long way. And, and many of us are sort of overshooting on the dosage because we don't realize that you can get pretty profound effects at very low doses. I think the person that's looking at this the most is probably Dustin Sulak up in Maine. And he's been gathering data on thousands of patients for years and years because Maine has been medicinal since, I think, pretty much since California was, like late 90s. Um, so I know that the sort of common thinking is that CBD may be better than THC when you're looking at sort of a calming focus. You know, ADHD is like a, a cluster, you know, it's a syndrome with a lot of different symptoms. So one of the things is you have to figure out what kind of an ADD person are you? Uh, not everybody is hyperactive and not everybody is inattentive. You know, those are two sort of main uh, divisions with ADD. But it, it is fair to say that most people with ADD have uh, these e executive function deficits, which means that things like planning and being organized and showing up on time uh, often sort of fall by the wayside unless there's a lot of adrenaline and a panic and a deadline, and then things seem to finally fall into place. Um, and that adrenaline is sort of psychoactive. If you think about it in terms of norepinephrine, it helps with, with being alert and focused. So, um, you know, how bad your executive function deficits are has an impact on, on what kind of cannabis is best for you. I mean, you know, I think, Mitch, I don't know uh, if you well, I, I will just talk about myself because I, I am at a point now in my life where I feel like outing is important. So I will say that there are some times when I smoke pot where um, it makes me more obsessive and, and very attentive to detail. And I'm sort of cleaning the kitchen or folding laundry with a with a precision that is lacking uh, in other areas of my life at other times. So if you think of ADD as, as not having that focus and precision and sort of not being OCD enough, you know that there's some pots that will, that will sort of make you more obsessive. But there's other cannabis strains uh, which will make you sort of lie around on the couch and not want to move and not want to do very much. And so depending on what kind of ADD you have, if you've got a hyperactive ADD, then that's a great strain for you. If you've got an inattentive, can't get motivated to do anything ADD, then that's a terrible strain for you. So it's going to be a lot of picking and choosing and people trying different ratios of CBD or THC and trying different strains. And again, if there ever is any clinical research, it's going to make it very complicated because there's different kinds of ADD and there's different kinds of cannabis and, and people respond differently 
two strains. You know, you give two people the same strains, you can get two different responses. And you give a, a woman a strain uh, when she's mid-cycle versus when she's PMSE, and you're going to get two different responses there too. So there's a lot of variability. It's it's going to be hard to to show definitively that it helps. There was a case series of 30 patients that was uh, published by Eva Mills and Franjo Grottenherman. Um, and I certainly respect Franjo's work quite a bit. I don't, I think this was 2015 or 2016 that came out. Um, a case series of, of 30 patients showing, you know, some, some were using THC tablets, some were using cannabis, some were combining cannabis with their ADD meds, but most people, uh, did, it was well tolerated. It was, you know, it was potentially an effective, well-tolerated alternative. So I just wanted to sort of give a give a shout out to that paper. <laughs> Good to know. I have some more data to point to. We're talking with uh, Dr. Julie Holland. And uh, as my cannabis radio brother, Vivian McPeak, would say, we've got to pause for the cause because there are flaws in the laws. A <laughs> word from our sponsors here at Burning Issues. We'll be right back. More Burning Issues coming up after we blaze through these words from our sponsors. This is Bobby Black, host of Blazin, here to talk to you about 420 Science. I've known Matt and Gary from 420 Science for over a decade. We've spent a lot of time together at the Cannabis Cups in Amsterdam, the Doobie Awards in their hometown of Austin. They were even at my wedding. And I've always admired their integrity and how they've built 420 Science from the ground up to become the most trusted online head shop. Visit 420science.com slash podcast for an exclusive deal on pipes and more from genuine people who put their customers first. That's 420science.com slash podcast. The smoke is rising, and the next crop of podcasts devoted to cannabis providers and enthusiasts are ready to be harvested. Welcome to the Cannabis Radio Network, founded by respected rainmakers who have been producing award-winning podcasts for over a decade. Industry headlines, business updates, medical reports, marketing, and e-commerce education rolled up perfectly for your consumption. Let's grow together. The Cannabis Radio Network. CannabisRadio.com. Ignite the conversation on some trending topics along the Cannabis Radio social media network. Join our crew of thousands on our Cannabis Radio page on Facebook or at Canna Radio, C-A-N-N-A Radio on Twitter. Plus, look for our Facebook and Google Plus pages for all of our original programs and connect with Dr. Dina, Kyle Cushman, Dr. Mitch Earlywine, Nurse Heather, Doc Rob, the host of Gondrepreneur, and more. Connect with the growing Cannabis Radio social crusade at Canna Radio on Twitter or search for Cannabis Radio on Facebook, Google Plus, and Instagram and grow with us. Time to fan the fire on some more burning issues only on CannabisRadio.com. And we're back on burning issues. I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine. We're with Dr. Julie Holland from New York City's own private practice and the author of uh, the splendid book Moody Bitches, among many others. We're talking about a diverse plant being used to t treat a very diverse disorder, uh, cannabis and ADHD. And I uh, did want to echo Dr. Holland's outing in that uh, I've been experimenting with the microdosing right now. I'm not a particularly inattentive guy, but I can get hyper aroused. And as you mentioned, uh, some of the really low dose work has a lot of potential. So literally at one milligram of THC, I find that I can moderate 
uh, some of that arousal in a much more effective way, particularly when you're in the clinical setting, when you really do need to sit still and, and just sort of keep your arousal at bay while you're letting somebody else talk. So I appreciate you bringing that up. When we think about uh, an ideal uh, dosing strategy, is there something you would recommend for folks who really are trying to uh, get at some of their ADHD symptoms themselves? Well, I would recommend that people explore microdosing with cannabis. I think that it's a, a good thing to do if you're, you know, I mean, one of the sayings in psychiatry forever has been start low, go slow that you start at the lowest possible dose and you very, very slowly increase it and see how each dose feels. Um, if you have the luxury of time, I think it's great to try one, two, three milligram dosages. Um, I, there, are, there are even some people who are just eating the raw plant, which is not psychoactive, but you're still getting anti-inflammatory effects um, and sort of antioxidant effects when you eat the raw plant. So, I mean, that's a whole other probably potential conversation to have. You know, there are people who are juicing um, and just taking a little a little nibble of a bud and just eating it. And those would absolutely be considered microdoses. Um, but people really do have to sort of experiment and self-titrate and figure out what's going to work best for them. And in a perfect world, obviously, you're doing this with a clinician. You know, I practice in New York State. Uh, ADHD is absolutely not an indication for our very insufficient, grossly inadequate cannabis medical law that we have here. Um, and the products, you know, there's one dispensary in all of Manhattan, if you can imagine, and with very limited product availability. And I can't even figure out what to recommend my patients try at the dispensary because I am not privy to what products they actually have available, which is just insane. Um, so, you know, until the laws change, uh, people are going to be experimenting on their own. I mean, it's great if you can do this with a clinician, with a therapist, with a nurse practitioner, anybody who can help you with dosages and strains and experimenting. There's a lot of information on Leafly, uh, you know, where people have sort of voted for what strains they find helpful. But the problem with ADHD, it's kind of like with post-traumatic stress disorder. It's a syndrome with a lot of different symptoms and everybody's a little different and everyone is going to respond to meds a little differently. So um, it's going to take a lot of trial and error. And it, it's great if you can do this in a supervised setting. It sounds like that kind of trial and error is not a novelty, though, that a lot of psychiatric meds require this kind of attention. Well, you know, I, normally I would agree with you, but I'm actually going to say that when it comes to stimulants, you know, when it comes to things like Adderall and Ritalin and Vyvanse, um, they're more predictable than a lot of other medicines in psychiatry. You know, one of the th one of the big sort of myth myths, I would say, of ADD is this idea that if you take an Adderall, like Mitch, if I prescribe you an Adderall and you say, this Adderall helped me focus and get work done, I must have ADD. No, <laughs> you know, nine out of 10 people, if you give them five milligrams uh, of, of dexedrine or Adderall, they're going to find it a little bit easier to sit down and get their work done, whether they have ADD or not. Like these are medicines that just do help with focus, period. And the vast majority of people who take them, they're not nearly as unpredictable as some of the other medicines we have in psychiatry. So, you know, normally I would be like, yes, it's, it's very hit or miss. And like some, like a, an SSRI that I prescribe commonly, which is Lexapro. I, I think it's a really solid SSRI with a good, uh, sort of cost benefit analysis. You know, it's pretty well tolerated. It works really well. Um, 
you know, most people don't get tired or wired from it, but maybe 10 or 15% get very agitated from it, have to take it in the morning, 10% get pretty sleepy, have to take it at night. You know, it's a little unpredictable. I'm always like, try this in the afternoon. You may get wired, you may get tired. Once we know who you are, we'll know what time of day you should take it. I don't really have to say that with something like Adderall or Dexedrine or Ritalin. You know, this is a medicine that's going to make you feel more alert. It's going to cut your appetite. You're going to be more focused. It's, it is fairly predictable. Uh, cannabis, on the other hand, um, is sort of wildly variable uh, between people and even sometimes within people. And also there is the issue that if you're not going to a dispensary with a particular dosage and a particular strain, if you're like my people who live in New York City where some guy shows up to your apartment with some with some pot that is called sour diesel, but it may or may not be sour diesel. It could be something else, but that people seem to like sour diesel, so they slap a sour diesel label on it. And there's no consistency you know, so with a plant that is already highly variable, you're adding more variability. And that is obviously the problem of our drug laws more than anything that's making it that much harder to treat something. So there's been a lot of push to try to go to sort of single molecule approaches then and to just have THC by itself or just CBD by itself. Do you have any strong feelings about that idea? Well... You know, I do prefer whole flower for most things. I absolutely am one of these people who believes in the entourage effect or the ensemble effect and this idea that uh, this is a plant that has been evolving on our planet way before we were here. And uh, it's it's got its sh- shit down pat pretty much, you know, like I don't want to argue uh, my higher power is like mother nature. You know, I think a tornado probably has a little bit more power over me. So I feel like, you know, when it comes to nature and a plant that has been evolving for millennia, um, it's going to have a very particular symphony that it has, has learned to play. And I, I, I being a musician, you know, uh, would rather hear, a six piece band than like a single harmonica going, you know? So I think there's something to be said for combining flavonoids and terpenes and everything else. So to me, like you don't mess with nature and you use a whole flower, but you know, the New York law is all about uh, CBD and THC and ratios and tinctures. And that's it. You know, there's no terpenes, there's no talk of flavonoids and all the other cannabinoids that aren't flavonoids and terpenes. I mean, you know, there's really complicated plant with hundreds of compounds at many, many of which are psychoactive and in opposite directions, you know, and, and to some degree you can think of CBD and THC as a little bit like opposites. They sort of play off each other a little bit. And, you know, so to me, you've got like the high end and the low end, but you're missing all the stuff in the middle. So, um, in a perfect world, I mean, you know, my fantasy is that people can grow their own medicine and, you know, grow and give is sort of where I live. If I'm allowed to have, you know, my, perfect fantasy. Um, I'm, I'm part of a group called doctors for cannabis regulation. Um, that is not so much grow and give as we are that, you know, things need to be labeled and regulated and we need to understand what people are taking and there needs to be a lot more research and nobody should be, uh, involved in the criminal justice system whatsoever for using a medicinal plant. Um, but you know, I, I think that people growing their own medicine, I think there's a lot to be said for the therapeutic effects of gardening and the therapeutic effects of being outside with dirt under your fingernails and sun in your eyes. Um, And, you know, we're getting very separated from that when we have these sort of tinctures and uh, 
capsules. You know, we're getting very far away from the idea of it being a, a medicinal plant. That's complicated the way our brains are complicated. I couldn't agree more. I particularly have, uh, you know, strong feelings about the entourage effect. When I think of linalool, the, the terpene that's so common in lavender and how, you know, soothing I find just that scent even, I, I feel like trying to go a uh, single molecule can be oversimplifying. I can't help but recall the days when we learned that broccoli was good for you, but everybody wanted to find a single uh, element to that, and it just seems right. so preposterous. Yeah. Right. It it is preposterous. I mean, you know, we're we're getting away from sort of a holistic medicine, which is what would would sort of treat us and cure us better. I mean, you know, moody bitches. I talk a lot about this idea that it, you know everybody sort of just wants to take a pill to feel better, and what you really need to do to feel better is to be more in your body and connected with yourself and connected with other people and connected with nature. Um, right now we're all just like, you know, grossly connected with our devices and we're getting sicker and, you know, our posture is terrible and our eyesight is terrible. We're all staring at our phones. You know, we can't even go to the bathroom without like checking email or Facebook or Twitter. Um, you know, we're all just sort of getting addicted to our devices and, uh, our bodies are really suffering for not being, out in nature and moving around and breathing fresh air and, and being connected to the earth. And so that's, you know, one of the ways that you can connect to the earth is to garden and grow things and eat things that you grow and, and use the things that you grow as, as medicine. You know, I love the idea of like a medicinal herb garden. It really appeals to me that you're cultivating something, um, that helps you sort of stay healthy and cultivated. Wow. Hey, this has been a delightful chat with Dr. Julie Holland, and I think I'm going to head out to my backyard and start a medicinal <laughs> herb garden. There you the, go. I, the idea that nature really does have our cures in mind is, is one I find really appealing. Thanks so much for being on the show. We'll, we'll have to have you back again soon. Yeah, it'd be my pleasure, Mitch. I love, I, as you can hear, I love talking, and I also love talking to you. Next time, I'll let you talk more, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll be right back with our next chapter in self-compassion and the art of activism. Don't go away. More burning issues coming up after we blaze through these words from our sponsors. The National Cannabis Industry Association presents the fourth annual Cannabis Business Summit and Expo, June 12th to the 14th at the Oakland Marriott City Center in Oakland, California. Register now at CannabisBusinessSummit.com. Meet industry leaders over three days of informative sessions and visit hundreds of vendors along the more than 80,000 square feet of sold-out expo floor. Hear from over 100 thought leaders headlined by feature keynote speaker, former president of Mexico, Vicente Fox. Join us at the epicenter of the cannabis movement sponsored by the industry's only National Trade Association, the fourth annual Cannabis Business Summit and Expo, June 12th through the 14th. Register now at CannabisBusinessSummit.com. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now. Bought a game for your phone, gonna make you say, wow! The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put the big celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Chichin Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is him, think that's the point. Download and play while you light yourself a joint. The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. 
Are you disturbed by the prescription medication commercials on television and their endless list of side effects? They go on and on and you end up having to take multiple pills to counteract the problems caused by the first pill. It never ends. Have you looked into CBD as a more natural option? At Saturn Ranch, we produce all-natural CBD topicals and THC-infused edibles. Premium lab-tested hemp-derived CBD is the most important ingredient in our products. From topical bombs, salt scrubs, bath-soaking salts to tinctures and edibles, you're sure to find something to help. Family-owned and operated, we at Saturn Ranch believe in and use our products daily. Don't put anything on your body that you wouldn't put in your body. SaturnRanch.com Time to fan the fire on some more burning issues only on CannabisRadio.com. And we're back with more burning issues. Thanks so much. I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Here's our next chapter in self-compassion in the art of activism. This is the segment that helps all Cannabis Radio listeners take good care of themselves and each other. Hey, a few uh, emails asked if I could return to actual self-compassion for this segment, and I do confess I have drifted a bit, but we want to get back to our roots, so to speak. I've reviewed the research before, but there are key new findings that are really very interesting about self-compassion and some of its facets. Uh, It's a bit more than just being nice to yourself, as I've emphasized in the past, but that's always a great place to start. Extending kindness to yourself rather than criticizing and judging your own actions is always a superb way to spend your time. So it's good to be nice to yourself, even inside your own mind. But with our minds in mind, we've talked about this before, we can only take our thoughts so seriously. In a sense, we can do some thinking about our own thinking, about how valid and reliable our thoughts really are. So there's no need to dwell on a thought if it's disturbing and certainly not one that isn't self-compassionate. Hey, another thought's going to pop in your mind soon anyway. If we do get a pleasant idea, by all means, let's see if other ones go with it. So remember to point yourself towards kindness when you catch your mind running wild. Hey, most of us don't seem to control every flash of perception, judgment, evaluation, or memory, but we can retain veto power when it comes to action and belief. That is, we don't have to believe everything we think. As our eyes stare over that 100th floor balcony, many of our minds have that momentary thought of just leaping, but that doesn't mean we actually have to take the dive. We decide what we want to believe and what to let go. And sometimes that's easier than other times, but the bottom line is we're in charge of that, so let's take charge. Self-compassion also has two other facets. There's a sort of social connection component, and then there's a balanced awareness, a sort of uh, way we take a look at our own thoughts and feelings. The social connection is really about seeing your individual experiences as part of a larger human experience. Odds are high that no matter how awful the event is that you're experiencing, someone else has gone through something comparable. And that idea can sometimes help folks be nicer to themselves. There's a chance there, too, to connect to other people, even when you think what's happened will be isolating or shameful or somehow unlike anybody else's experience. 
hey, I see this almost every week in my eating disorders group. Somebody in there is bound to confess to having some thoughts or experiences that they think are uniquely evil. But then they find out that someone in the room has thought the exact same thing or damn near it. So letting ourselves connect with others is another way to, in a sense, be nice to ourselves. It's a facet of self-compassion we don't hear about a lot. And then that last component concerns balanced awareness. This is a little hard to describe, but it's all about holding our painful thoughts, our negative feelings, without over-identifying with them or blowing them out of proportion. So I'm not saying deny them, but keep them in perspective. This can be a lot to ask in painful times. When the agony is high, it's hard not to let it invade all of our consciousness. Hey, each disappointment seems like it's the worst thing that's ever happened, but in truth, it's probably not global thermonuclear war. Every stub toe, every broken shoestring of life, that can be a genuine hassle, but the pain is going to subside eventually. Bigger traumas, real huge things, are much more overwhelming, and I will be the first to admit it. But we deal with them by talking about them, telling the tale of the horrors that we've endured, talking about the stuff no matter how painful. Hey, that's how we can get over it. We might never forget these events or wash them away completely, but we can shrink them down until they're just another story. We can tell that story over and over until somehow it takes out the sting. I know it sounds impossible, but it's how we step toward holding our emotions in a balanced way. And if we can do this and be nice to ourselves in the process, it's going to go well. It's funny because it does require telling it to someone else and it coincides a bit with the social connection part. So in a way, self-compassion flourishes when we connect with each other. Hey, research does support the idea that being nicer to yourself inside your own head really does help your mood and sense of self, but I'd prefer it if you guys would run a little experiment of your own. So find out if it's helpful, find out if it's true, and let me know at 420research at gmail.com. Thanks again so much for listening to Burning Issues on CanvasRadio.com. My continued gratitude to... All the folks at Cannabis Radio, my special production wizards, and today's guest, Dr. Julie Holland. Please join us again soon. You can always find us on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spreaker, and anywhere good podcasts appear. I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Follow your heart and let the data be your guide. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.